you may be seated for a moment. What a privilege it is this morning to have each of you here with us at High Point Church. I welcome you. So glad that you chose this morning to come and worship with us and to exalt the name of the Lord. To our first-time guests, we're so delighted to have you here. And we just want you to make yourself at home and worship the Lord as the Spirit so directs you. I hope you have come this morning with an ear to hear what the Spirit has to say to you today. I so enjoyed and was refreshed by this morning's teaching in the adult Bible class. I appreciate that so very much. It was very rich, very full of substance. There's a lot of preaching going on in the world today and teaching that has very little substance. And I enjoy teaching that has substance to it, something that will give us something to think about. There's an old song in the hymn that says, Upon life's boundless ocean, where mighty billows roll, I've fixed my hope in Jesus, blessed anchor of my soul. When trials fierce assail me, as storms are gathering o'er, I rest upon his mercy and trust him more. He says he keeps my soul from evil and gives me blessed peace. His voice hath stilled the waters and bid their tumult cease. My pilot and deliverer, to him I all confide. For always, when I need him, he's at my side. He is my friend and Savior. In him my anchors cast. He drives away my sorrows and shields me from the blast. By faith I'm looking upward. Beyond life's troubled sea, there I behold a haven prepared for me. I've anchored in Jesus. I have wrestled all week with how I was going to say what I need to say in preface of what I'm going to preach this morning. That's how to say it without sounding like a prophet of doom. You know I stand firmly and strongly on the fact that the church is going to leave here victorious. I don't care what the world does. I don't care how society ends up. The church will be triumphant. Because we've fixed our hope in Jesus. Blessed anchor of our soul. We could very well be facing as a nation and as a society some of the most troubling and difficult times economically, socially, that this nation has ever known. What a way to start a message, huh? 
A society and a nation cannot, and I said this 25 years ago, 30 years ago, a society and a nation cannot continue to expend far more than their receipts without at some point in time ending up in serious trouble. You can't do it. I can't do it. Nor can any nation or government. Nor can any society and nation as a whole continue to turn their backs on God and His principles and His basic laws without coming to reckoning. As Brother David pointed out this morning, the kings of old did not escape it. If they turned their back on God, they paid the price. And so it is with any existing nation today. You turn your back on Almighty God and His laws and principles. Somewhere down the road, you'll be called to reckon with Him. I say these things as a warning in that we need to prepare for what may be ahead. Many economists are saying that we are headed for a period of time that makes the Great Depression look like a walk in the park. There may be some of you here, I'm sure some of you here this morning were alive in that period of time. I know I'm just a ray of sunshine this morning, aren't I? But I tell you this, because if you don't have your soul anchored in Jesus, you better get there. Amen. You better get yourself anchored in the rock of ages. Because that will be the thing that will save us. With that said, would you stand? I invite your attention this morning to Matthew chapter 3, verses 11 through 13. Matthew chapter 3, verses 11 through 13. Matthew penned these words as stated by John the Baptist. I indeed baptize you with water unto repentance. But he who's coming after me is mightier than I, whose sandals I am not worthy to carry. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. His winnowing fan is in his hand, and he will thoroughly clean out his threshing floor and gather his wheat into the barn. But he will burn up the chaff with unquenchable fire. Then Jesus came from Galilee to John at the Jordan to be baptized by him. Let us bow our heads in prayer. Heavenly Father, I thank you this morning once again. For this tremendous privilege and opportunity you have given us to feed feast at your spiritual table. What a blessing we have experienced already this morning of thy holy presence and thy power working and manifesting, manifesting itself here among us today. I pray that you'll continue. I pray that our worship and our adoration of you will continue as your word goes forth today. And as always, I ask you to help me to be transparent 
and that we might speak as your instrument and your vessel today, that your word would go forth with the power and authority and anointing that you have designed it to be. And I ask it in Jesus' name. And everyone said amen. Amen. Look at someone next to you and smile at them real big. Tell them it'll be all right. It'll be all right. Greater is he that is in me than he that is in the world. Amen? Amen. You probably need to recite that yourself just before you go to sleep every night. You may be seated. Greater is he that is in me than he that is in the world. Amen. Let me make an observation before I get into the preface of the body or, or into the preface here and the body of the message I feel the Holy Spirit wants us to hear today. And you see, Jesus is the baptizer with the Holy Spirit. That's what John said. Amen. Now, to experience Holy Spirit fullness, we must come to Jesus Christ. Amen. The words of John the Baptist do not simply imply a denominational or theological exclusivity. Amen. The offer of the Holy Spirit baptism is for all who come to Jesus Christ. Isn't that wonderful? Amen. The resulting power of His Spirit at work in and through those who have received Jesus' baptism is promised by the fire of Pentecost and the fullness of His work in them. Remember, Paul said, we are His workmanship created in Christ Jesus under good works. Did he not? Amen. In John 1 and 29, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world is also the baptizer with the Holy Spirit. Amen. That's what the Bible says. We can't argue with that. To see Jesus' role as the sacrificial lamb as the only role of significance that he has until he comes again is a restrictive misconception. For those who just view him simply as the redemptive lamb, they're missing out on a lot because he is the baptizer of the Holy Spirit. Amen. So again, to see Jesus' role as merely the sacrificial lamb and the only role of significance he has until he comes again is a restrictive misconception since he is also our eye-empowering Lord and Savior, the baptizer with the Holy Spirit. Jesus saves us, then he wants to fill us ongoingly, pouring the Holy Spirit upon his redeemed, enabling us to declare and demonstrate the living power of the Savior wherever we go until He comes again. Amen. How many of you ever heard the phrase, walking the plank? I know, I know you Navy men and, and you Mariners, you know what I, but, but there's, another, there's another reference to that walking the plank. There is this phrase that was used many hundreds of years ago with the Mariners that is used more commonly today among high-rise steelworkers called walking the plank or walking the meme, if you will. This refers to those individuals who walk across narrow beams of steel very high in the air, which they're never going to get me up there, while building these huge skyscrapers. I watched a program here not long ago, but I forget the name of it on, on the Science Channel or whatever it was, and these guys up on these and these big old towers, you know, a 1,000, 1,500 feet near, walking them beams like he's walking down the sidewalk. 
I had to get away. It just made me nauseous. Whew. Camera showing all that down there going on. No, ain't no way. No, not this boy. Amen. Now, it's easy to walk across that plank or that ground or that beam when it's on the ground. You lay it down there on the ground, I'll get up and walk on it. But you put it a hundred foot in the air, not a chance. Not a chance. You know, and without a safety net, it really looks scary. I don't even know that I'd do it with a safety net. I'd be afraid the safety net would let me go right on through. In fact, the Word of God says in 1 John chapter 4 and 18, there is no fear in love, but perfect love drives out fear because fear has to do with punishment. And the more that's at stake, the harder it is. You see, white-knuckle syndrome kicks in, and we develop a case of the what-ifs. What if that net would break? Well, what if this airplane falls out of the sky? Y'all never done that? Oh, yeah, every time I get on a plane, I think, well, what if we get up here and it's over? We get the what ifs. You know, fear is living in the future before we get there. Amen. And among the trolls that are working under the bridge to your future, as inspirational speaker Dr. Joan Morzenko cites two things that really trouble us. The first one is fear of failure. She writes that when I was admitted to Harvard, I was sure there had been a computer error and that I, I would be exposed as a fraud. A lawyer, she goes on to say that a lawyer friend of hers stops short of terror every time she has to give a final argument before a jury. Even when you're an expert, fear doesn't necessarily go away. Amen? Accepting fear as part of the journey instead of running from it helps us to conquer it. Amen? Remember that. The second thing is fear of imperfection. Now this one makes it hard to do anything because perfectionists set unattainable goals and berate themselves when they can't reach them. Amen? It's impossible to learn without making mistakes, so let's learn and move on. We all go make mistakes. If you're doing anything, you're going to make a mistake. You know, I'm always going to say the right thing. So do we just say nothing? Or in some cases, that'd probably be good, but... That, I don't know who said that. That didn't come out of my mouth. Jesus said, Jesus said, don't be afraid, I am with you. So ask yourself what he wants and then stop worrying about people pleasing and let's get on with it. Amen? Solomon said fear of human opinion disables you. When we look back at what we've already overcome, I think we can all begin to realize that most times failure doesn't do permanent damage. How many of you have all failed sometime in your life and found out it didn't damage you for life? Oh, yeah. Amen. In fact, we actually grow through it. We learn stuff. We look back, you know, we, we learn things from it. So stay focused with God, and we can walk any plank, except I'm not getting up there on that building. That's just not going to happen. Who knows? We might even begin to enjoy the challenge from time to time. Amen. 
Hallelujah. Now all that's out of the way. You see, when Jesus arrives on the scene, things have to change. The Bible says in Matthew chapter 14 and verse 25, Now in the fourth watch of the night, Jesus went to them walking on the sea. Now the fourth watch of the night, for those of you who may not know, lasts from about 3 a.m., if you were looking at our clock, until about 6 a.m. in the morning. Now it's important to note nighttime is when our God and Savior does much of His best work. I'm going to prove that, just in case you're wondering. It's when He does His best work is in the nighttime. Amen. The songwriter Homer Rodenhaver penned the words of this most fitting song using the ministry of Jesus as his awesome power and launching plan. In fact, I remember as a youngster back six, seven years old, somewhere along in there, maybe a little bit earlier, when my dad and mother and our family, they were out on the road evangelizing. And, and uh, I remember so well my mother and father uh, during the evangelistic ministries and them singing this particular song. I'm going to quote some of the stanzas for you. The first stanza goes something like this. One sat alone beside the highway begging. His eyes were blind, the light he could not see. He clutched his rags. You remember the story about this man in the Bible? He clutched his rags and shivered in the shadows. Then Jesus came and bade the darkness flee. The course goes when Jesus comes, the tempter's power is broken. Everybody say that with me. When Jesus comes, the tempter's power is broken. When Jesus comes, the tears are wiped away. He takes the gloom and He fills the life with glory for all is changed when Jesus comes to stay. When the Israelites face the Red Sea, we read in Exodus chapter 14 and verse 21 that Moses stretched out his hand over the sea and the Lord caused the sea to go back by a strong east wind all that night. It's in the nighttime that He does His greatest work. Amen. Amen. It was during the middle watch of the night that Gideon and 300 men defeated the Midianites with a trumpet blast and water pitchers. Amen. They divided them up in groups of 100, and with a trumpet in one hand and a water pitcher in the other, they defeated the Midianites. In the darkness of the night. Oh yes, and remember, Jesus rose from the dead before daybreak. In the darkness of the night, in the midst of that tomb, there was a power and there was an authority manifesting itself that raised him from the dead. Amen. Matthew writes in his gospel account in Matthew 14, 25 through 27. Now in the fourth watch of the night, Jesus went to them walking on the sea. And when the disciples saw him walking on the sea, they were troubled saying, it's a ghost. Oh, no.
And they cried out for fear, but immediately Jesus spoke to them, saying, Be of good cheer, it is I, and do not be afraid. We don't have to be afraid. Cautious, yes, we need to be. Prepared and plan planning, yes, we need to be. But to be afraid, we do not need to be. Amen. Because we have anchored in Jesus. There's two important things I would like for you to notice here. First of all, Jesus waited until the storm was at its worst, and they had lost all hope. That's because God dictates the timetable for our deliverance. And guess what? He's never late. I said, He's never late. Say that with me. He's never late. You may not be thinking that right now, but He's never late. You may be looking at your watch going, I'm telling you, if it doesn't happen pretty quick, I'm in victory. He's never late. Amen? The second thing is the disciples didn't recognize Him until He revealed Himself to them. They thought it was a ghost. It never dawned on them that this was Jesus sashaying out across the top of the water. Wind was blowing, the waves were rolling. I mean, the ship was about to turn upside down. And they look out and they see a man walking out there across them, just tiptoeing out across the top of the waves. That'd make the hair stand up on the back of your neck, wouldn't it? Whoo! They didn't recognize him. Often the answer we need is right beside us. However, we don't realize it until God reveals it to us. Amen? The songwriter continued in the second stanza of the song, From home and friends, the evil spirits drove him. Remember this story? Among the tombs, he dwelt in misery. He cut himself as demon powers possessed him. Then Jesus came and set the captive free. Just with the spoken word. He set him free. Oh, yes, my friends, when Jesus Christ steps on the scene, the tempter's power is broken. Amen? Amen? On another occasion, the Bible says, as recorded in Luke chapter 5, verses 1 through 3, And so it was, as the multitude pressed about him to hear the word of God, that he stood by the lake of Gennesaret, which is the Sea of Galilee, by the way, and saw two boats standing by the lake, but the fishermen had gone from them and were washing their nets. And then he got into one of the boats, which was Simon's, and asked him to put out a little from the land, and he sat down and taught the multitudes from the boat. I just threw this in here for a little food for thought, but listen to this. I suppose that in that particular moment, it would have been tempting for Peter to feel somewhat of a measure of importance. I mean, after all, not every day the master comes by and wants to use your boat. There were a lot of boats around there, but he chose Peter. Peter could have gotten a little bit arrogant. But let me remind you of this. God doesn't really need anything we have to accomplish His purposes. Not our credential. Not our talent. 
nor our resources. Amen? So we must be humble. What an honor it is for us to come together in His presence, to be used of Him and to have the privilege to be an emissary for our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. And when Jesus came to the disciples that night, He was walking on the sea. Now, Jesus Christ is on top of every situation. I know you, some of you are doubting right now. You're thinking, ah. He's on top of every situation. Amen? There's not a leader in the known world that's not been sanctioned by Him for some reason. I know that's a hard pill for some of us to swallow. But it's truth nonetheless. So be at peace in these times of turmoil. He will do whatever it takes to reach and rescue us. While He turned the land of Egypt upside down in utter chaos and turmoil, the Israelites lived down in the land of Goshen and was never disturbed. Oh, He done it once. He can do it again. Amen? Let me, let me share this with you. Our problem, we all have problems, right? If you haven't yet, wait a little while, you will. The book got so thick, I quit, to writing, I quit writing down the problems. Our problem is just a platform to display His power to act on our behalf. He gets the glory. When He delivers us, He gets the glory. When He provides for us, He gets the glory. It displays what a wondrous and mighty and awesome God that He really is. Amen. So our problem is just a platform to display His power to act on our behalf. The songwriter went on in the third stanza said, Unclean, unclean, the leopard cried in torment. You remember that? Jesus approached the gates. The lepers had to go outside the gate of the city. They could not go once they were... It was deemed that they had leprosy. They had to go and stay outside the city. And if anybody went to approach them, they had to holler out, unclean, unclean, and, and draw back and stay away from them, cover themselves up. It's Jesus. And it was unlawful for anyone to touch a leper. Jesus, as the leper cried, unclean, unclean, what did he do? He walked right up to him. Touched him. Healed him. The deaf, the dumb, and helplessness stood near. The fever, rage, disease had gripped its victim. Then Jesus came and cast out every fear. Amen. We must see God in our situation. It's imperative we see God in our situation. Paul writes to the Philippian church. Now stay with me for just a few more moments. I'm nearly done. Paul writes to the Philippian church as recorded in chapter 1 of verse 18. But what does it matter? 
The important thing is that in every way, whether from false motives or true, Christ is preached, and because of this, I rejoice. Now, I said that to lay the foundation. Watch this. When Paul wrote, what has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel, in verse number 12 of this same chapter, he was in prison using his situation to tell people about Jesus Christ. Paul was in prison. And in his mindset and the way he worked, it was what an opportunity. I have a captive audience. They're assigned to guard me and they can't leave. Guess what they're going to get to hear? All those prisoners in the prison cells around him. What a captive audience. You all could get up and walk out on me right now. There's not a thing I could do about it. Paul said, hey, whoo. He used his situation to tell people about it. He goes on to say in verse 13, And as a result, it has become clear throughout the whole palace guard and to everyone else that I am in chains for Christ. Oh, yeah. It became clear to everyone around there that Paul was going to preach Jesus Christ and that he was in chains for Jesus Christ and he wasn't going to change the message. Amen. Then Paul points out that through his imprisonment, as, as is recorded in verse 14, because of my chains, because he was locked up, most of the brothers in the Lord have been encouraged to speak the Word of God more courageously and fearlessly. Man, they're tearing it up out there. Woo! I'm glad. Because I'm in prison, Paul said, they're out there just ripping and snorting and tearing it up. Even when Paul found out some were preaching the gospel to make trouble for him, he said, what does it matter? Yeah, he found out some were out there preaching because they knew it was going to make life a little harder on Paul. He's the guy that's locked up. We're out here free, walking around, and we're going to wear and break. He said, what does it matter? The important thing is whether from false motives or true, Christ is preached. And because of this, I rejoice. He said, it doesn't matter to me the motives. As long as Jesus Christ is preached, and He's preached boldly and profoundly, He said, that's all I care about. Arrested unjustly, treated unkindly, His future uncertain, Paul looked for God's hand in every situation. He looked at this prison time as just another opportunity for him to spread the gospel of Jesus Christ, not only to the prisoners, but to the guards that were assigned to him. And the guards rotated. Oh, he's had a new guard. What a perspective. He said, because of this I rejoice. What a perspective. What an attitude. A century ago, following a coal mine accident, the Bishop of Durham told mourners, you know, it's difficult to understand why God let such a disaster happen. But we know and trust Him, and all will be right. We have come to know and trust Him, and all will be right. 
we may not understand at this point why some things happen the way they do. But this I assure you, we know and trust Him. I hope you do. And everything will be right. Over the years, I've been given several silk bookmarkers. Any of y'all have any of the silk bookmarkers, especially if they're hand if they're hand sewn, hand stitched? When you examine the wrong side of that bookmarker, if it's been hand stitched, yeah, it looks really weird, doesn't it? In fact, it looks like somebody didn't know what they were doing. Just a glom of thread. Yeah, it looks like a big mistake. You look at it and go, what? When you examine the wrong side of one that has been handed stitch, you, you see something you, you, but, but tangled threads and some mess. One might think someone done it without, who, someone who done it that didn't know what they were doing. However, when you turn it over and you look at it from the right side, it's a whole new perspective. There embroidered on some of them I have in big, beautiful gold letters is God is love. You don't have any trouble. It's beautiful. It's gorgeous. But when we look at things on the wrong side, it never looks right. It looks like a jumbled mess. When you turn it over, perhaps we are looking at things today from the wrong side. Someday we shall see it from another standpoint. We shall see it from another standpoint and we shall understand Amen? Probably in the back of Gideon's mind that the truth be known as much as he trusted God and believed in Him, that in his somewhere back there in, 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 in the dark corners of his mind was that thought that he kept suppressed, this could be suicide. I sure hope God knows 300 men in companies of 100 going to defeat such a massive army? But out of his trust and his knowing God and seeing what God had done up to that point, he said, I've got to trust him. I have to know that what he's telling me he will bring to pass. I don't know what these pictures are going to do. But all I know is he said, put a trumpet in one hand and a pitcher in the other hand. And when I give you the word, you put a blast on that trumpet and everybody break their pitcher. And I'll take care of the rest. And so it was. The Midianites thought there was an army pursuing and overtaking them, the likes of which they had never known. They started slaying one another. They turned on each other. I close with this.
The songwriter concluded, so men today have found the Savior able. How many of you found him able? How many of you look back over the years and know beyond a shadow of a doubt that our God can do anything? He can provide our every need according to his riches and glory by Christ Jesus. And the last time I examined heaven was not bankrupt. This country may be bankrupt. Societies and nations of the world may be bankrupt. And don't know how they're going to meet their next payments, but heaven is not bankrupt. The last time I looked, he still owns the cattle on a thousand hills. And the earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof. Can you say amen? So men today have found the Savior, Savior able. They could not conquer passion, lust, and sin. Their broken hearts had left them sad and lonely. Then Jesus came and dwelt himself within. The Course says when Jesus comes, the tempter's power is broken. Greater is he that is in you than he that is within the world. That at the name of Jesus every knee shall bow and every tongue shall confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one Lord, and beside Him there is no other. He takes the gloom and fills the life with glory. Would you stand? For all is changed when Jesus comes to stay. My friends, I said all of that today in hopes to challenge you and encourage you, if you haven't already, to put your hope, set your anchor in the rock of ages. You're going to need it.